0: Hey guys, just a quick one before today's episode with Mr. Joe Jeffries. Just a reminder that today's podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice or advice in any way. Should you wish to participate in anything spoken about in today's podcast, always seek the advice of a medical professional. Thanks, guys. Enjoy. Hey, guys, and welcome to Episode 7 of Give It The Beans. Today, I have Mr. Joe Jeffries on. If those of you that don't know Joe, we're going to give him an introduction. We're going to let him introduce himself. Uh, Today's podcast will be following on from Episode 6. So if you haven't listened to Episode 6, you're going to have to go listen to it because things will get technical and Joe might geek out a little bit. I'm always going to try and bring it back to basics to give you guys the basic understanding terminology of anabolics and that is obviously the topic of today's podcast. So Joe, my man, listen, thank you for coming on to Give It The Beans. Can you just give the listeners a brief introduction of who you are, where you're from, uh, your journey and sort of what, uh, what goals you have for the future?
1: Yeah, sure. So, thank you for having me on. Firstly, it's an honour to uh, be able to speak on the topics that I'm passionate of, and hopefully, you guys listening learn something today, and maybe also somebody listening can challenge me on some of these things. That's also always cool. If I say anything that anybody disagrees with, it's always good to um learn through debates, so I always encourage that. Um, summary of me. Uh, summary of me. Um been coaching maybe six years now, been consulting in the realm of chemistry, biochemistry for the same time, um, primarily in the realm of physique athletes in terms of performance enhancing drug use. Um, I've done a little bit of sports-specific stuff, but it's not really my wheelhouse or passion. Um, it all started when I met my wife for the first time. She convinced me to try to do this. As I said it was my dream job and I started doing it and thankfully it worked out. So thank you, Jasmine, if you're listening. I don't think she will be. <laughs>
0: Dude, I love that. That's awesome. You're the first you're the first guest so far that's given credit to his lady. Um
1: so. I owe everything to her, yeah, for sure. Um I'd probably still be in my old job. I actually used to be a session guitar player. Oh wow. Um, I didn't enjoy it. It was a lot of travelling and late nights, so Luke, if you're listening, my my circadian rhythm anchoring was not efficient. <laughs> um, but she, um, my passion has always been chemistry. It's been my hobby, a, a weird thing for a kid to be into. I know. Um, and I, when we met, I was still boxing. I was mostly boxing from a kid uh, with a little bit of weights. So we actually met in the gym, and then with her being a bikini competitor and me sort of falling in love with her, and then sort of getting an interest in what she did, uh, my passion of chemistry carried over um, into that realm and I became no other word to describe it probably than obsessed with performance-enhancing drug use specifically. Um, so that's that's how I got into it really and um, here we are, it seems like a blink of an eye but we're many years later and um, still doing the same thing, still love it and um, hopefully we will be spending the rest of my life doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the goal.
0: I love that, dude. And for those of you that haven't uh, listened to it already, Joe has done two podcasts with uh, The Muscle Mentors. Uh, for those of you that have listened to, uh, I think it was episodes two and three with James and Luke, um, and really had such a wealth of knowledge and a deep understanding of the chemistry of anabolics, performance enhancing drugs, that I thought that if I'm going to do a podcast, the one man I want on to talk about them and to give you guys a little bit of an insight Um, is Joe himself. So I just want to get stuck in straight away because I've been looking forward to doing this all week Um, and I'm sure you guys that have listened to the previous episode have been as well. So I'm just going to kind of kickstart it off. Um, For those guys that are perhaps out there, Joe, that are perhaps looking to start on Anablox or maybe perhaps already on, uh, they're met with a whole plethora of different compounds out there and they might have no idea the difference between Compound X, Compound Y, and Compound Z. All they just see is the name on the box. So could you kind of give the listeners an idea of perhaps the different, I'm going to say different kind of drugs. And, and from that standpoint, we'll just say I always would go by the three different bases that they will use. In the last podcast, we talked about test-based, DHT, or nandrolone base. But again, people hear those words and they have no idea. So those sort of drugs and their derivatives can you kind of give the listeners an idea of what they would perhaps do and maybe perhaps when they could hypothetically look to use them that was a long question i'm sorry that's a big (laughs) question
1: um so let's start with the first thing types of drugs so yeah as you rightly say that if we were going to greatly simplify we are looking at three primary molecules and derivatives thereof um especially with the newer age drugs and as we move into looking at drugs that focus on selective androgen receptor binding and things like that, molecular structures do get sort of clouded of where the original derivative was from but as we were saying off air, we're going to try and keep this like as simple as possible here. Yep. As you very rightly said, we can, uh, for practical purposes, strip it back to three primary areas. So you'd have testosterone, this straight up bioidentical testosterone that exists in both male and females and has... Many anabolic and androgenic roles in human physiology. So, that would be one grouping. Um, something that makes testosterone unique is it converts to estrogen via the aromatase pathway into beta estradiol or E2. Um, and then we have 19 norandrogens, like you said, like nandrolone. Primary difference here being that 90 norandrogens andro- are carbon 19 demethylated nor analogs of testosterone.
0: Oof, uh, not
1: so simple, but uh, demethylation is basically the process of removing a methyl group from the molecule. So think about taking a testosterone molecule, ripping off that carbon-19 position, you have 19 norandrogens okay. Some examples being testosterone, Trembolone, in some of you may have heard of dimethyltriolone, and they're the three that you see the most of, or these days, trestolone.
0: Um, That's one I've heard of, but never personally used myself. Um, I've had people ask me about it and I always say, I don't know, I can't say because I've not used it. So, any thoughts or can you give the listeners an idea of what Treslone would do?
1: I generally steer away from exotic drug use for 99% of people. Okay. I I firstly don't think that the properties are necessary for our goals. We also have a severe lack of long-term data on specific exotic drugs. Um, So we don't really know their efficacy or long-term health outcomes. On paper, the androgenic profile makes it almost worrying in some circumstances. It was trialled in Asia as a birth control due to it being so much more, um, in sort of inverted parentheses, um, suppressive. Although, you know, how can you be more suppressed than fully suppressed? I guess we'd have to argue about HPG axis function post-use. I'm not sure why that would mean fertility would be less during use, but that's another um, argument. Uh, yeah, things like trestolone and things like dihydroboldinone, uh, I'm not, uh, I, I don't think people need to even think about it. We don't need it, it's not necessary. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, what I love as well, I just want to point out to the listeners that, like, that's an evidence based study that Joe's talking about. So, hence why we're getting someone on that can really information, you know, coming across and, layman's terms but it's backed up by scientific studies and i love it when you say you know for people to challenge you and talk about that it, it, it kind of shows what you are like as a person as a coach um and that's awesome but going back to sort of the original point of you you kind of gave a good discussion of the difference between your sort of test base your 19 nors um i don't remember if we touched on dht based drugs
1: no, so yeah, you also have DHT derivatives. Um, you you very rarely will find actual injectable DHT or even methylated DHT that's orally bioavailable. It's not really seen. I believe the original uh, brand name was Stanalone. Yeah. Um, no, but no. you never really see it. Uh, we see things derived from DHT. Uh, just bear that in mind. It's, it's quite important that we talk about derived from DHT because. It's not necessarily DHT and will not mediate the same effects. There are some unique things that we see from DHT, like actual suppression of the aromatase pathway. We don't really tend to see that in action from molecules derived from DHT. Um, DHT itself, uh, that means dihydrotestosterone. It's part of the hormonal cascade of testosterone. So it's formed via the 5-alpha reduction of testosterone. So everyone's got it. I think it's around 5% of total testosterone will convert to DHT.
0: Okay, wicked. So again, I'm just basically because I, I wanted to get John so that I could quiz them as well as give information to you guys. So if we've got those sort of bases or the, those sorts things that are derivatives of those compounds, um, and let's say for example, um, and, and personally, I've I've been there as well, you know, like young guy, you just Google test and deca cycle and and they, you see some guy telling you to take 800 milligrams of this, 800 milligrams of that, and for someone that was maybe 90 kilos and stick thin, it maybe wasn't the wisest idea to do. So if, if anyone out there was perhaps thinking of something to jump on, um, from probably like a health perspective, uh, and, and by that I mean trying to stay on top of health as long as you can, what do you think would be the, the best solution or scenario, um, sort of drug choice to go with?
1: Um, so you say with health in mind, so let's focus on that as the primary goal here. Firstly, any time spent under greater exposure to androgens than what would be a truly physiological dose for you is, cu- is going to come with some cost. So as an individual, you're going to have to work out a cost to benefit ratio there. Take more than you would physiologically produce within the sort of 700 to 900 nanogram per deciliter range, there will be negative knocks to your health that will potentially reduce your lifespan um, through many of the risk factors that we see with anabolics. That, if you like, we could get into. But um, to come back to the question, are you referring to dosage or? Yeah, I would just say, choice? I would say
0: compound choice and dosage. You know, whether if someone's just saying, right, I want to. I want to jump on from a, a physicality or muscularity point of view. They want to grow. Um, starting off at there um, would probably be the best way to go. And then if afterwards we could kind of get into uh, sort of uses used whilst cutting or dieting for the show. But let's just say starting off, some guys thinking, I want to do it, I want to get bigger. Um, what, what, what would we go with?
1: Okay, so testosterone will always be the single best choice for any anabolic androgenic steroid user with health and physique development in mind. We have multiple decades of literature on just basic bioidentical testosterone. We have lots of human data also in super physiological dosages. Um, and we have also, don't discount a tonne of anecdotal data. There's a reason bodybuilder types will say test is best, you know? Um, yeah on a molecular level it does everything you want to do to potentiate hypertrophy it's very anabolic it highly stimulates the aromatase pathway which in turn cascades to a high growth hormone and igf pathway stimulation um, gives you all of the estrogen that you want to potentiate lipolysis or also many um, skeletal muscle growth pathways it really does everything that we want as an anabolic which again is why i kind of steer away from these exotics that are promising all of these things, you think we already have well-studied anabolics that work so well, do everything that we want to do. Is there a need to look elsewhere? So your first compound choice will always be testosterone.
0: Okay. And, and you know, testosterone itself can come in different dosages per mil. Or, and if, you know, someone might just say on some forum, you know, Big Davey on some forums telling them to take two mil a week, which might be, you know, dosed at 300 milligrams per mil, you know, someone like that just, just does it for the sake of it. Do you think they're maybe wasting money and could get, you know, more from from
1: less? Uh, okay. Wasting money? Uh, probably not. I mean, at least up to 600 milligram in the basin research, we know that testosterone works in a dose-dependent manner, i.e. the more that you take, the more it will do. that's the unfortunate truth of these drugs More is more possibly in an inverted U until you get past the point of not actually being able to tolerate the drug dose Um, so again if we're talking about dosage purely I mean you can't 2ml isn't a dosage because that could be any suspension of total milligrams 2 millilitres let's say it was a traditional 250 milligram per milliliter solution you're doing 2ml per week that would be 500 milligram You would have to weigh up your own individual cost to benefit ratio, what your goals are, what they require, and if you are willing to pay the price. Also bear in mind that there is a great deal of biological inter-individuality. One person's 500 milligram is not another person's. There will be things that happen within post-receptor binding mechanisms that completely change the way that you as an individual will react to that dosage. So a lot of it is going to be trial and error and also understanding that with greater dosing comes more muscle but also comes a shorter life
0: yeah yeah and, and kind of that's what i was maybe uh, it's absolutely not a, uh, i said not a waste of money but what i was getting at was maybe from a health perspective would you know i kind of say to a lot of my clients like to try and get the most from the least in regards to trying to you know as you said from a health perspective keep them living for longer as such and um often just i've seen a cruise dose of as you said 250 milligrams a week just mutate someone Um, and again that dose to client b versus client a might do very little um but it is just amazing how much like something so little can change them so let's say um someone is has been on 500 milligrams of as you said um let's go test an antithet right now (laughs) In the last podcast, I spoke. I touched a little bit on um, aromatization and estrogen um, and whatnot, but I didn't get into it because I heard your podcast, and you're the man to to really talk about this. That
1: a lot of people might disagree, then, <laughs>
0: right? But from from what I heard, um, your knowledge of the benefits of estrogen, the androgen to estrogen ratio, um, was. It was awesome to hear, and I, I really wanted to get you on and um, to give listeners an idea that, and, and I was the same, right? You often heard estrogen is the enemy, right? That's what you often hear, and like, oh, my God, you, you got to take this thing called a or aromacin. you got to take it every other day because, you know, Big Davy down the gym told you to do that, so you're just doing it because he's big, and, you know, it, it's often it's, it's poorly understood. So could you kind of give the, the guys I uh, or listeners an idea of, like, why is oestrogen seen as this bad guy and when it comes to you know we're trying to control oestrogen is there a perhaps a better or safer way than taking something like a remedex, which may perhaps not even need to be used?
1: Okay yeah this is a big topic so let me um, try to cover this as brief as I can. I think a good a good sort of typical phrase to remember is that estrogenic issues occur when the estrogenic action at a site overtakes or rather imbalances androgenic action at the same site. So, if you would think about gynecomastia, i.e. Uh, men developing breast tissue, uh, bitch tits or whatever you want to
0: call it. <laughs> I, that, I did, I literally use that phrase in the last podcast. So, yes. yeah, that works.
1: There we go. <laughs> that is when you have... An imbalance of androgenic to estrogenic binding at the nipple gland. Um, a good example of that that's just popped into my head would be the use of drostanolone in breast cancer patients. Um, drostanolone is an androgen with zero estrogenic action. Um, when it binds at breast tissue, it halts proliferation of the breast tissue, or rather the tumorous growth on the glandular tissue at the nipple. Right? Yeah. So that's a, a, an example of that in action, and that goes for every 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 peripheral tissue in the body. Yep. Um, now, oh, I, I think it comes down to the basic understanding that when we use an AI, that that isn't counter to my th- th- um, hypotheses that I'm putting out here. That just altering the ratio is the solution because. All you are doing in the case of taking an aromatase inhibitor is reducing the estrogenic side. So you are reducing estrogenic action at the site by pulling down serum estradiol. Also worth noting that many metabolites of estrogen, not just estradiol, um, which is why some people get estrogenic issues from nandrolone. Uh, nandrolone does not convert to estradiol um, and does not interact with the aromatase pathway. It actually converts to estrogen via an estrogen metabolite called estrone at the androgen receptor, but that's a bit of a different tangent there. Yeah. Um, so that's why sometimes AIs might not work. But okay, so as you say, people, it's rhetoric to take an AI. Um, I think there are better ways to control this relative ratio. I don't. Uh, you mentioned Arimidex Do you want me to sort of say what Arimidex is?
0: Yeah, that would kind of that'd be really good to give the listeners an idea of um, what is ADEX and, and what does it do?
1: And so Arumadex itself is a type 2 aromatase inhibitor which reversibly binds to the aromatase enzyme. So if you wanted it to continue to reduce serum estrogen levels, you'd need to use this drug on a continuous basis, um, which introduces the risk of toxicity issues. Um, so although... Aromatase inhibition with type 2 AIs like Aromidex is like nearly 100% effective in humans. We do see a decrease in, in the total estrogen to androgen levels of like just under 80%. Okay. Um, which has also been studied in humans with their HPG axis suppressed, which anybody using testosterone, mandolin, whatever, any anabolic androgenic steroid will have. So, what are the health issues thereof? Okay, in research using Aromadex, we see bone demineralization. That's a primary concern for individuals using AI to drop their E2, like beyond physiological levels for extended durations of time, often seen during contest preparation, for example.
0: Yep.
1: Um, decreases HDL. I will say on the HDL point, it's unclear if either anabolic steroid or aromatase inhibitor-mediated decreases in HDL changes the efflux of cholesterol, so I'm not going to say that that's necessarily a health issue, but something to con- to sort of concern yourself with, just in case, maybe.
0: Yeah, I was waiting to just say, for those that don't know what an HDL is, but you just touched on cholesterol, so for the majority, m- most people out there, they'll know what cholesterol is in itself, um, sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to just add that note in, that HDL, lipid profile, cholesterol, all kind of links, but... If you could continue. So it so so we've got those side effects, um, which, you know, through long term usage you said, that's gotta be used all the time, right? Whether it's yeah. maybe half a tab uh, every other day or
1: I think the um, there there are many safety issues. The one that concerns me the most is insulin resistance. Um, it's one. been studied in humans with aromatase deficiency and healthy adults, and this was actually using Arimidex. So, there's some safety issues, and there's also some, I mean, bodybuilder will go, yeah, I don't care. You know, what, what do we care really about, like, health? We don't think about health, we think about muscles, right? Yeah. Okay, so, we could get into that. I mean, estrogen is very anabolic. Estrogen's also very lipolytic. There's a strong growth hormone and IGF pathway stimulation. Um, if anybody follows Lar McDonald, he posts a ton of information on on exactly this, and talks about it in his women's book a lot. So, oestrogen estrogens a bodybuilder. Trust me, you want you want it as high as you can possibly have it. Ideally, um, if you're looking for physique outcomes and taking an AR, you're limiting it. Um, so, it'd probably be a good point here because we were talking about stack design. We could talk about the difference between anti-estrogenic actions and like mediating estrogenic issues with androgens, which is what yeah. I mean when I talk about altering the androgen to estrogen ratio Um, so breast cancer was was a good example there's been lots of androgens used in the treatment of breast cancer because like I say when androgenic action at the breast overtakes the estrogen receptor activation the proliferation stops Uh, we touched on earlier DHT itself is the only androgen I've ever seen have mild AI properties but that doesn't mean all five alpha reduced anabolics or DHT derivatives actually do that
0: yeah I also, and
1: so it's worth like, noting, like all androgens that we use, apart from DHT, but no one's going to find that a doubt. They're not anti-estrogenic. I know that term's like thrown around. On time like, oh, I take, I take masteron because it's anti-estrogenic. Like, yeah. n- no, you're you're counteracting estrogen purely based on the activity at the androgen receptor, and the effect is always going to be greater for more potent androgens as well. Like comparing. Primo bolens into trembling. This, so.
0: this was like one question I really wanted to like dig your brain about is that I've heard that, right? And personally, use I use Mast or Primo alongside like a cruise dose to try and mitigate the estrogenic effects of tests. However, my understanding obviously of DHT derivative-based drugs like your Mastron, like your Primo was always that, okay, we know that they can't be reduced by five alpha reductase we know they can't be um but they can't it can't aromatize so why does then so i've heard a phrase like saying oh um i use masteron when i'm cruising um because it has a high affinity for the aromatase enzyme and i kind of go well no no, it doesn't because it can't aromatize so i'm like how how does it help you know mitigate those each but you just put it quite clear there that so, so you're saying that it, it acts as a, it, it does the opposite of you know say estrogen itself uh, will add body fat and perhaps let's say as you, you use the bitch tits as an example so let's say that you know
1: yeah that so, would, I, would, I would I would I would be careful to say add body fat okay because estrogen is actually lipolytic in nature which means it, it it will cause a greater loss of body fat the higher that it is
0: okay that's wicked and dude that's something that I didn't know Either, right? So, if you could, so, so let's just be taking the quote unquote bit stitch as an example. If, if someone's using testosterone and they also have alongside in their stack, uh, Masteron to try and control the aromatization of test, how is that Masteron in the let's say breast tissue stopping, um, you know, more? B- I don't want to say body fat being put down because you just called me out on that there. So, it's
1: glandular tissue. There
0: we go. That's, yeah. the, that's what I'm getting at. So,
1: um, how does it do that? Because, in summary, any increase in the androgen to estrogen ratio via the addition of a non aromatizing, non estrogenic. No, I'm, I'm adding non estrogenic in there yeah. because not all estrogen is produced via the aromatase pathway. Hence, like I said, nangelone. Yeah. Um, these androgens will have estrogen countering effects simply because the ratio of androgens to estrogens at the site is being increased.
0: Okay that and like that to me makes so much sense. And, but if anyone is you know by this point if you're 26 minutes in and you're still wondering what the fuck with the terminology, please go back and listen to the previous one because that will give you the layman's terms for a lot of what Joe is talking about. Um, And I think that not only is sort of like AI's misunderstood, but the whole sort of what is mass, what is primo and everything like that is understood in itself. Now, the one thing we've not talked a whole lot on, we've talked a bit about tests, we've talked a bit about DHT derivatives, but we've not spoken much about Nandrolone. You mentioned it, you know, 19 Nors. And again, this was... This was a question that I wanted to just discuss for you because, um, I use it and I, I, you know, with my sort of methodology with clients and whatnot, um, from a health perspective, and I just wanted to get one your opinion on it. Um, so when it comes to we're going to talk about like a gaining phase, mm-hmm. so someone's trying to add tissue. Now, we all know it's, it's well apparent that nandrolone is usually added to cycles or perhaps something. Uh, like boldenone could be added. I'm not a huge fan of boldenone, but I just want to keep it about nandrolone. So, the reason I'll put, I'll push up nandrolone instead of test is because when it is re- when it is reduced in androgenic tissues, it becomes a little bit weaker. So, mm-hmm. from like a health perspective, I thought right, if I was to push someone's test up, which I totally agree. Like you made a great point that you know push the test up, and the more tests you have, the more it will do however obviously we know that in androgenic tissues it's just as strong when it's uh, it's three times as strong when it gets reduced to dht right so
1: particularly via the anabolic action oh no sorry yeah when it gets dht yeah sorry
0: you know so if we were thinking right although we know that anabolics will affect our health and and we you know quote unquote sometimes our bodybuilders might not care about that too much but if we we're thinking right longevity side of things we're trying to um, you know, because we know that like androgenic tissues are such like our prostate. What What would your sort of stance be on pushing up nandrolone quite high and keeping test? I'm not going to say low, but like a little bit lower. So, for example, my cycle this year, I was ended up four hundred uh, teste and eight hundred milligrams MPP. Um, and I still found that I got strong shit on it. Um, and not, not a huge amount of water retention compared to DECA. So what I just, again, the whole question was Deca. compared to like the long ester DECA.
1: Um, They're both the same molecule. So I would say uh, yeah. When those to consider active milligram when removed from the ester, the effects would be exactly the same.
0: Yeah, which I kind of now think back to the fact that maybe the gear was was bunk <laughs> because I, I found that retained a lot more water off the longer ester but what I was just thinking would would you agree with that strategy from a health perspective or would you have a different one and if you did could you shed light on that
1: so your your stance would be 750 milligrams of nandrolone would have a greater health outcome than 750 milligrams of testosterone what,
0: I, what, my thought process was it wouldn't impact health quite as much based on solely based on the the fact that it becomes weaker when reduced in androgenic tissues?
1: No, I don't think I would agree with that. Okay, good, brilliant. Could you tell us why? Okay, so if we discuss risk factors of anabolic steroid use, um, and, and then we look at what you're saying, okay, testosterone uh, primarily reduces to the DHT, there's a small amount of DHN. Nandrolone primarily reduces to DHM with a small amount of DHT. Almost like those androgens are flipped on their head. Yes, DHT being the more potent um, receptor-binding molecule of the two in terms of androgenic expression, or rather mRNA expression of androgens in those peripheral tissues. As you mentioned, prostate one of them. Testicles, skin, brain, everything, we, they all have androgen binding. Um, however, I'm, I haven't seen any data to suggest relative... Um, binding affinities of androgens to be the risk factor when it comes to long-term right. anabolic use especially in studies that do compare nandrolone and testosterone when um, dosed alongside each other and that looking purely at the reduced form that is but five percent of the total milligram that you are injecting um, that would be short-sighted with respect to what the real big rocks of risk factors from anabolic androgenic steroid use would be. And also, DHN comes with its own well-researched risk factors like dopaminogenic signalling and damaging the amygdala in the brain. Testosterone hasn't yet shown to do that, and androlone has. Um, that would be maybe a worry. You know, Do we want to get dementia just to avoid maybe minor, benign prostate hypertrophy? You know, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just yet to see enough evidence of that. And the issue with running high in angelone is also a kind of relative imbalance of estrogen to androgen, um, being that it has a very low, um, conversion rate. We, I mean, it, we're strongly postulating here. I think, as the two, when it comes to anabolism outcomes and also health outcomes, they are probably one of the same. You would just pick whichever one tends to treat you as an individual better, um, to use as your growth anchor, but I think it would be a huge reach to say one would necessarily have greater health outcomes than the other, especially something so minor as their 5-alpha reduced forms that is such a, a tiny marker um, to consider. I'd be more looking at you know, things like LDL status, specifically over HDL or maybe urinalyses, um, I know, uh, here's another example, nandrolone activates the RAAS pathway, testosterone does not, that pathway is responsible to a large degree for left ventricular wall hypertrophy in the heart, so that may be another thing to consider when using nandrolone, Um, but back to your your just original point that you said about the five alpha reduced forms, um, I would just say a lack of evidence would point me towards their actually not really being much to look into there Uh, especially when you see hypertrophy of these tissues it tends to be benign yeah yeah
0: and what again i love is that you keep going back to research and evidence like that is like totally lost in industry today i feel that and there's probably like a lot of coaches out there that are just saying Oh go take that because this guy that I worked with a few years ago, he told me to take that and it worked and I think that it can work for yourself, whereas I get the idea from you that it's it's so much like there's so much science behind it that you just have to like whoever you are, you gotta respect that what you do and what where your stance comes from. I, I just I think it's brilliant. So to to follow on from that, if we were thinking about a gaining phase, would, would your stance alone to be to just use tet like higher like higher levels of test on their own and or would you put in uh DHT derivative or would you put in anything at all with it?
1: So this is a very, very individual question. So maybe the first thing I'd look at is what what do we require? So for somebody that wants I mean we could keep it simple, like somebody that wants to gain maximum muscle tissue. Let's disregard everything else. Yep. It doesn't matter if they hold fluid. It doesn't matter if they get Distension or anything like this, we just want maximum nitrogen retention and maximum anabolism, right? Yeah. Um, there will be little difference between testosterone and nandrolone is the primary growth anchor. What does the individual feel best on? Like I touched on the dopaminogenic pathway uh, disruption with nandrolone. Common side effect people say I feel tired and lazy on nandrolone. It's probably not a good choice for you. It's you know causing this these issues within that dopaminogenic pathway. Anchor with testosterone maybe try lower, test, uh, lower nandrolone. Um, some people feel awful on high testosterone, blood pressure issues, extreme water retention, so they can't even walk. Um, and we can get even further down the line of this mental masturbation of testosterone has been shown to increase both systemic and localised IGF-1. Nandrolone has only been shown to increase uh, localised but not systemic or endocrine IGF-1. That would be a benefit on paper. Does it happen in humans? Does it matter? I don't know. I think we could postulate all day about this. Um, They're both ultimately going to do the same thing. It will probably just be about your total milligrams and where, again, we could postulate like testosterone, more estrogen, more aromatase pathway activation are using growth hormone and insulin. Maybe testosterone would be the better choice because you'd have a greater stimulation of that relative pathway, larger synergy. Is that true? I don't know. They're never going to study it. But we can put these pieces of research together to form that hypothesis. Um, At the end of the day, it's going to be about using the sort of highest dose you're willing to use of testosterone or nandrolone or a combination thereof. Experimenting. You mentioned DHT derivatives. Yes. If you have estrogenic issues, as the dose gets to a point um, where you're going to have these issues, sure, introduce a DHT derivative to control that estrogenic effect if you don't want to pull down the dose of the estrogenic compound. Um, it's, it's really as simple as that. You could just, you know, anchor with either one. So you could go with like some TRT des- uh, test and run high nandrolone, flip it on its head, maybe 20 weeks down the line or whatever. Which one did you prefer? Yeah. Do that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, Which I, one did you feel better on? Yeah, I, Which one was, were your objective health markers better on? which one would your quality of life better on?
0: Yeah, and, and again, like such a great point to say that it is person-dependent. It's not just, you know, Google test and psycho and follow what some guy done, you know, 15 years ago and he's just telling you to do it. I would think that if from a from a health standpoint or from just a knowledge standpoint, like speaking to someone like yourself, if, if you're considering it, of course you're going to contact a medical professional, but why not, you know, Perhaps learn from someone like yourself that has a depth, you know, vast array of knowledge on what to do. And it's not just going to treat you like a, uh, uh, okay, next one, next one, next one. It's actually going to think, okay, how did you feel on that compound, on that compound? And that's a great way to talk about a gaining phase. And a lot of guys out there are thinking, right, that's cool, but actually, I'm, I'm going to start cutting now. And I've been told that I'm not supposed to use nandrolone when I'm dieting. Because of X, Y, and Z that Big Davies told them. Um I, I keep saying Big Dave, right? I just use that that as an analogy of some big guy. Is that a real
1: bloke down your gym ju- just, just giving you ju- poor ju- just I, I just divorce. say as an
0: example of a guy maybe down the gym, he's forty five percent body fat, he thinks he's really strong, he's maybe taking he's eating oxygen for breakfast and uh, you know, he's he's carrying about four stone of water weight. So I, I just always use that as an example, hence I keep coming back to it. But let's just say they've been told, right, oh no, no, no you know. You know, MPP or long estradeca Nah, you're not using that when you're cutting, it, and they want to know why. So, if we're thinking again, we know it's person dependent, but if we were to consider what what sort of drug you someone might use when dieting for uh, a contest prep or a, for perhaps a photo shoot prep, a lot of my clients will do photo shoots. Um, could you give the listeners an idea of perhaps why they would maybe change drugs and what they what they would maybe or hypothetically could use?
1: I mean. I think the thing here is that people look at anabolics like. I often use this example where you're in a sweet shop and they all, you know, they're all different sweets. They all taste different. Yeah. Um, They're not. They all do the same thing on a fundamental level. Um, There are just very small characteristic changes between them. There is no bulking or cutting drug prescription. You know, you have to take note of your own biological individuality and go with that. Um, There's some. you know, we could make an argument that drugs like trembolone may have specific lipolytic qualities. Um, it has been compared with testosterone. Um, although, when injected with estradiol, um, bearing in mind, so you wouldn't want to have a low estrogen stack necessarily, that um, it does improve insulin sensitivity markers in rats, again, not humans. So, take that for what it is worth. Anecdotally, we have years of trembolone usage and people do apparently drop fat in it. Considerations to make there also is that androgens are sympathetically driving, um, and also androgens will improve feed efficiency. So you know, tremblones used in cows because you can feed them less and they get bigger. Do you want to eat less?
0: Mm. Take train <laughs>
1: <laughs> You know, so yeah. I don't. I don't think there is a single prescription here, and I don't think there is a drug stack you would necessarily choose to lose fat as the goal. You know, these really aren't fat loss drugs. Yes. They potentiate synergies with like beta two, um receptor agonists. Yes, they are lipolytic because there are androgen receptors in fat tissue. Yes, but is the effect large? No, they're not fat loss drugs. They're invented as you know drugs to treat muscle muscle wasting diseases. Yeah. Um, I think I think that's pretty.
0: a really really good point. That there's no, as you said, like there's no cutting drugs or bulking drugs. They they all do the same thing. So. We, you know, it's common knowledge that people will often tend to switch. So why, why do they switch? Why do you think they do that? In your opinion?
1: Because they see other people do it. Nice.
0: Yeah. Okay. So they've just been sort of um, blind leading blind type thing.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you will see a difference. You know, you go from a stack that involves a great deal of this sort of protein nitrogen retention, like. Super high testosterone, androgen. You come down to a low testosterone, high androgen based stack. Of course, you're going to look different, you know. Absolutely. Um, but it, it does that mean you're losing fat any faster, and you're going to look better at the end? Actually, probably not. So, yeah. with
0: your protocol, if someone has transitioned from, um, let's say, a bulking phase, uh, you've maybe recomped them. Drugs have stayed the same. Would you keep them exactly the same all the way to the end of a contest prep or would you personally change them?
1: Uh, I mean, I'd, I have no set outline I'd use. I'd be very reactive depending on mostly biofeedback, especially in a contest prep situation. I don't want to exasperate stress. Um, so, you know, I won't be like, take a gram of trembolone, you know, and make everything even harder. Um, androgens drive hunger and they also drive up feed efficiency. Um, as I mentioned, you want to keep things as controlled over the autonomic nervous system possible. Um, I've even played with using a lot less total androgens in cutting periods to keep hunger down, to keep stress low, and just at a sufficient dose to maintain skeletal muscle tissue, which I think is probably a lot lower than a lot of people think. And then maybe use. Uh, again, an inverted parentheses, more cosmetic-type drugs, so these high androgen, low estrogen drugs. If the physique suits it, you know, something I was talking to Cal about the other day, you really have to analyze the physique and get a good feel of what it looks like under different stack designs. I have a client at the minute who's an IFBB um, heavyweight competitor, and we run tests and deco into the show because he gets very flat very quickly, feels best on that stack, uh, if we start to increase androgen, he just looks worse. And there are people like that. There are people that get very flat very quickly, and you can see it on their physique. And I say I was talking to Cal about it because I can't, I, that's what I feel he's like. Um, and I think in these individuals, we'd have more of a prescription leaning away from the high androgen dominant stacks.
0: In, so, in, in that instance, again, you said like inter individuality, then. Did you say that he was running Decca into the show?
1: Yeah, my, that client I was with, not Cal. That's, that's, <laughs> um, yeah. That the, the client, the IFBB uh, client I mentioned. Yes, he stood on stage at two thirty. I should know this. It was only a few weeks ago. Two thirty-five, 230, two thirty-six at the Wayans, I think. And um, yep, test some Decca into the show.
0: That's awesome because what you often hear with with guys is that Decca will bring water attention with it. So, intramuscularly. Yeah. I was going to say now, that's maybe not a bad thing in regards to, to fullness, but then someone might say, "Oh, but you might look watery, and you might look soft." So, you've just given a great example that that kind of that goes against the grain of what a lot of people would say, and it's very ballsy. But you, like, it's a scientific standpoint, but also an individual standpoint that this guy feels really good on that, um, and if you're again trying to control autonomic no, nervous system, reduce stress, why put something in that would perhaps do uh, the complete opposite? Um,
1: which is, and which, that's not to say that I wouldn't do the opposite for somebody because there are other types of physiques as well. There are, very, there are physiques that are very hard to get flat uh, but are also very hard to get grainy. In those kinds of physiques, I probably would harness a higher androgen stack if necessary um, to get that cosmetic effect. Um, again it's just looking at what you I think a lot of drug drugs start, we need to start with the question of what do you require and when so remember it's what you look like when you stand on stage there's no point making the process difficult um, you know get the body fat off and then worry about your cosmetic effect
0: yeah and I often had a client that competed earlier on this year and without saying anything to me he was like you know I've went out and I've got training and I've got this and I went you don't need that and he went, oh, but but my mate, you know, my mate Big Davy, down the gym told me, I just went, look at you. You look dry anyway. What, what's the need to put that in? So I absolutely love um, that you just touched on that, dude. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, moving on to my next point that uh, I had a couple of people that messaged me um, about you coming on that they want me to pick your brain about, was fat burners, or quote-unquote fat burners, let's call them. Um, because I still, like, I feel they're really poorly misunderstood at their mechanisms of action. Um, Something like, you know, clen itself, people, they go, oh, I get the shakes and my heart rate goes up. And you go, yeah, well, it increases sympathetic drive. No wonder. But Mm. for some people that are thinking, right, you know, we want in layman's terms, could you give us in layman's terms, right, what does clenbutyrol do within the body? And I've heard that, you know, someone out there is thinking, I've heard that my mate uses it or I'm going to use it, but I don't know much about it. Could you give them an idea of of how it might help them during a a fat loss phase?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I'm sort of fascinated with Client at the minute. It's something I'm researching a lot, and I think it's a very interesting drug. Um, In males and females, there's some very unique effects as opposed to other fat burners. Um, I'll leave that nerdy stuff for today, though. The basics, really, are that it mediates its effects via stimulating beta-2 adrenergic receptors. So, via this pathway, the beta-2 adrenergic receptor, um, it will induce lipolysis, which is fat loss. Um, so, it will stimulate fat loss pathways. But it also reduces um, lipogenesis. So, it reduces the potential to gain body fat. At um, skeletal myocyte level, it's also shown to mediate anabolism, Which is what's very interesting as opposed to other fat loss drugs. It, it is anabolic and it's not a weak anabolic either. That's, it has, that's interesting. And this is why it's interesting in females because it's it will not have an androgenic carryover to possible virilization. But in terms of a skeletal muscle hypertrophy, that effect can be pronounced.
0: That's awesome. Um, I mean, I was going to pull you back and say for those that don't know what a, a beta receptor is referring to, what, what could you say that is referring to?
1: Okay, so... Uh, I mean, you could compare it to, like... Um, you could compare... I mean, it's often compared to, like, your him being... It's almost like on the other side of the axis being alpha. Alpha and beta. Um, you've got, like... You see it written as ARB. So ARB2 or ADRB2. Um, what's an easy way? Um, basically... The beta andrenergic system or the receptor it interacts with epinephrine, um, which is a, a neurotransmitter of, um, it, it's a ligand of adrenaline, so you can see where this stimulation comes from. Um, I did post a research paper the other day about um, the signaling via, um, is it adenylate cyclase stimulation through G proteins? So we see an increase in C AMP, which is likely where the stimulation of. Um, my policy comes from. I'm trying to think of a really easy way.
0: I was what I was getting at was just to say that it was a receptor in a fat cell. That that was all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I skipped that bit. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I, so um, I, I, uh binds and causes um, an agonistic action to this androgenic receptor. So it essentially stimulates it. You say like, gets it gets excited. You know. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's awesome. So. I, you know you mentioned the word your I love it I use it um, some people out there have just went oh what the hell is your humbine and, and what does that do so again I'm just going to uh, if you could just tell the listeners you went oh your humbine's got high infinity for the alpha um, p- people are thinking what's an alpha what's your humbine could you, could you break that down
1: yeah so just think of the same thing uh, you know your uh, is an alpha 2 adrenergic antagonist right um I'm not the greatest fan of your hymbean the more I research it the less I like it I used to use it a lot um, so your hymbian, don't confuse it with your because I won't do anything uh, it's an alkaloid, uh, an alkaloid that they cut from a tree is it an African tree? you might know this yeah so, I think I'm it
0: is it's, it's funny that you say that because I have so many clients that they say oh I went and got that hymbean you were talking about and they send you a screenshot and it's yam, like you just said and you kind of go
1: that's the wrong stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm pretty sure you're him being is now illegal in the UK. It is. You
0: can't buy over the counter. I need to bloody send uh, links to EU websites um, or American websites to get it. Uh, but it is legal for use in the likes of BNBF, um, UK DBFA. So we we use that and, and, and start, that's all good. Now, you, me- you mentioned that you don't like it. So why do you- if I could ask, why do you not like it?
1: Okay. Uh, cover this quickly. Um, Research wise, It seems to improve PTSD, which is quite cool. Um, It's used uh, to treat erectile dysfunction. And when you look at its actual mechanisms of action, it blocks pre- and post-synaptic alpha-2 receptors. Um, So we see this um, uh, strong release of of many neurotransmitters in in the nervous system, um, like nitric oxide and norepinephrine. Um, This is a huge sort of sympathetic drive and this is why i don't really like it i don't think the cost of benefit is so great because um we don't really know the half-life or active life of your him yet it hasn't yet been established honestly i've seen research papers claiming half an hour all the way up to four hours um interesting story when this drug first came out and it was still sort of down for research i tried it accidentally didn't reset my scales um, and took 250 milligrams. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, instead of 25. That was a strange day. I was like stuck between death and extreme arousal. I,
0: I, <laughs> I was going to say, like, when the average pill is, you know, now maybe sold at what, 2.5, 2.5 meg per five, pill? Yeah. You know, you take 250 meg, no wonder. Um, I think a, a funny point to point out someone's going to be thinking, wait, Vaughn and Joe, are you saying that I can take this your humbine and I can get constant boners from it because it's used to treat erectile dysfunction. I always say, well, if you're taking anabolics, that's probably not going to be a problem anyway.
1: Yeah, don't combine the two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or... or it's <laughs> partner. Um, <laughs> your missus is going to yeah, be Yeah, i saying, you. I don't think the cost of benefit with uh, something like your him being really weighs up when you compare it to something like clenbuterol that is way more effective in relatively... Um, sort of similar, well, not similar dosages, being that we compare micrograms to milligrams. But in terms of like a, a stimulation to fat loss, um, like sympathetic drive to fat loss ratio would be much um, more favoured in the clenbuterol. we also have a lot more long term data on clenbuterol than we do yam Um
0: So with, with the likes of clenbuterol then how would how would you cycle it?
1: How would I cycle it?
0: Yeah, or or would you not cycle it? Would you? Because some people say two weeks on two weeks off some people go two days on two days off or would you just keep it constant
1: yeah I, I see no re I, I would take it until I'm finished with it
0: yeah I, I do the same and people often um, maybe perhaps people have on this podcast have said otherwise um, about well, their strategies maybe and-
1: I'll challenge them to find some evidence that suggests beta 2 receptor down regulation does occur because I've looked very hard and I've never found a single human study that even minorly suggests this a very old rat study dosing in the milligrams. No, milligrams here in a rat. Yeah, <laughs> and We are a human using micrograms. Um, if anyone is wondering, obviously this, the highest human research I've seen is 700 micrograms per day um, for months at a time with no adverse effects. Now something to note. But, um, yeah, I've never seen uh, beta 2... Um, uh, beta 2 receptor downregulation occur at all and I know you see this argument for like you have to use ketotypon with it um, this is a point to clear it because um, that's also a misunderstanding of what ketotypon does it it doesn't um, upregulate beta 2 receptors, it resensitizes them and there's a difference um, does that mean you can use ketotypon clean and probably get a better result yes same thing like exogenous thyroid hormones do they do increase sensitivity of beta 2 receptors
0: could i butt in and say someone might not know what ketotifen is could you let them know what that is because you said oh, some people say it has to be taken with but someone's went oh, oh i've never even heard of that
1: yeah so ketotifen is an antihistamine and okay. mast cell mast cell stabilizer um it's basically, oh, people like, I've seen people on various forms just take antihistamines at a kind of blind hope that they can take clen forever. <laughs> Whatever. That, that, yeah, um, not in idea. It's used to like stop itchy eyes and irritation from allergies, essentially. Yeah. Um, it does appear to um, upregulate the sensitivity of beta 2 cells, not upregulate their production. So that would be a point to note have a similar sort of argument about androgen receptors.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. Now, what I liked is, this was a little bit ways ago, you did touch on um, perhaps female use of this and that even though Clen has shown some perhaps small, <laughs> as you said, anabolic effects, as has no androgenic. And that was a point in a previous co- podcast, we were speaking about um, you know uh, female usage of uh, PDs, so how we didn't say we perhaps didn't agree with it in Bikini Girls, and but then we said, well, you know what? Actually, clenbuterol is probably very commonly used and we didn't want to sound like hypocrites, but we went, the effect on health might not be quite as um, much as perhaps taking, uh, you know, anabolics themselves. So I just wanted to add that in. So if anyone had listened to our previous one, um, that again, you've kind of, again, you're still thin- thinking in your head sort of, from a health perspective, from an evidence-based, which again I think speaks volumes for. There's too many coaches out there that just say, "Oh, just take this and just trust the process," and this this is how it's done, rather than, like, you you kind of mention you listen, and you're reactive, on sort of drug changes, which I'll be honest with you, I haven't heard of that in today's site from any any coach, and I just mm. think, I think it's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's something I find interesting that people, I mean, you know the muscle mentors guy as well, if you said to them, how often would you deload or reload a client from their training? They'd say, well, when they need to, you know? Um, Let's look at the same thing with performance enhancing drug use. When do we increase or decrease or use something else, you know, when we need to?
0: And I, I guess everyone's probably wondering in their head, how do they know when they need to?
1: Uh, well, when you need to, never. <laughs> you, ne- you never need to. Um, maybe when. So, are, are you asking when to increase the drug dosage? That's exactly what I was okay. getting at. <laughs> when you're impatient and want to grow bigger muscles as fast as possible would be one yeah. option, and you don't mind sacrificing health goals for that. Nothing wrong with that. It's fine. I've got clients like that. You know, I've got clients at three hundred pounds, um, clients at two hundred fifty pounds pushing. Like their life literally depends on it. Um, I also have clients on the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, the other option would be um, where you've exhausted all of the avenues of progress and you're not continuing to progress at a rate you deem acceptable. Um, we need to remember these drugs are dosed in milligram per kilogram, so your your required dose will go up as your skeletal muscle tissue increases. Um, like. Anadrol is prescribed in two to three milligram per kilogram per day, and for example, that's how these drugs are used in muscle wasting patients. Uh, they should really be used in the same way in physique athletes. The more muscle you have, the more drug you will require to build new muscle tissue, as relative to you yeah. and your biological individuality um,
0: and, and I guess, I guess, like that's probably one of the biggest take homes from this podcast that. It's not just what Big Davy tells you to take. It's not just what you found out on the forum. It's got to be about sort of trial. I kind of I would say trial and error, but knowing your body or getting to know how it reacts to these drugs. Opposed to you know the big one of the biggest mistakes I made was went many moons ago, just took, just took what I'd read on a forum and then just did that for this amount of weeks and then came off and didn't do. Track anything, any effects of what it does, um, which was probably the silliest thing to do. So, I know that time is sort of ticking here, but just really quickly, what sort of biofeedback, or maybe perhaps just you're going off of feedback from the client? Will you, is it just solely their impatience, or is it is it their time frame? Is it, is it? Are you looking at the logbook? Are you looking at, you know, sleep, et cetera, et cetera? What are you looking at?
1: In terms of simply modulating drug dosage or coaching altogether,
0: Yeah, modulating that drug dose, that stack design or, you know, the dose you're p- pushing it up.
1: So, as we go forward, we'll look at the physique, firstly. The physique and biofeedback are always the main things. How are your physical energy levels? How's your mental focus? Um, and then objective markers like heart rate variability, blood pressure and resting heart rate are very important when using drugs that are sympathetically driving, um, Training progression, as you know, Um, I just make sure that we're 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 nailing the big rocks, and then you'd have to have a discussion with your client. Are we moving towards the desired end result in the desired time specified? Um, You know, taking the relative amount of steps that you need to take every week to get there. So, if they say realistically in five years I want to be this size, you know, you'd have to sort of tentatively make this five year plan roughly. And then have many microcycles within it where we constantly reassess how close we're getting to that goal whilst controlling health as much as possible. In some cases, that would be impossible. Yeah. You know, if someone's goal is ridiculous, I want to look like Big Rami in two weeks. Well, you know, <laughs> it's just <that's>
0: not, <laughs> not going to happen.
1: Yeah, maybe metaform every single muscle belly with five <laughs> bottles or something. So you might look like him for a few weeks. <laughs> um brilliant so it's, it's a big scope of data you'd have to collect but it's very much about asking yourself an honest question I think there's only so much we as coaches can do you know you say to someone that's having awful side effects how are you yeah I'm great man you know yeah are you you know let's be honest uh oh yeah I'm great but you know I'm, I'm having these horrible night sweats and these horrible dreams and i just got no energy to do anything <laughs> oh okay yeah hmm. So your resting heart rate is over a hundred. Yeah.
0: Got to change. (laughs) Yeah. Love it, dude. Now I'm going to wrap things up here just for the time purposes, but just as a a good sort of finishing thought, could you just give the listeners out there, you know, what's the biggest, biggest lesson you've learned in your career to date and following on from that lesson, is there any advice you'd give out there for, you know, coaches or aspiring competitors um, on, based on that lesson that you learned.
1: maybe the biggest lesson I've learned over the years would be to be very open to being challenged and welcome it because it will make you a better person and will force you to learn what you need to know um, so remove all emotional reaction from discussion and ensure that you are looking at things objectively when it comes to any area of interest. Um, And the biggest piece of advice I could give to an aspiring coach is to invest. Invest every penny that you get back from coaching back into your education. So something I've always done. I've always never missed a week of multiple consultations with people way smarter than me. I've spent... Every penny I had in the first few years of coaching on making myself a better coach, there's many easier ways to do that now than there were then. A good example would be like any PT out there, go and get on the Muscle Mentors yes. course. You know, they're incredible. They're the top of the game. You need to be around those people. You know, and just make sure you're not walking with people going the same speed as you. You wow. know, always be with people that are way smarter than you are. Yeah. And it will force you to, um, to, use a, <laughs> to use a chemistry term, upregulate yourself. <laughs> yeah, I, I always <laughs> say if, that.
0: If, you're the, if you're the biggest fish in the room, you're in the wrong room.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yep, surround yourself with people that are, are driving to be better every day. Awesome. That's the best advice I can give.
0: Now, if someone out there listening uh, wants to contact you, wants to find out a bit more about you, Um, can you give them maybe perhaps some more information on that your Instagram handle um, and whatnot.
1: yeah sure so anybody that wants to be a client um, I'll just say I am full and I have quite a bit of a waiting list but still do send me an email with some context on it and um, I'll see if I can help you too often I just do regular consultations with people I'm more sort of leaning on the educational side of work more so than coaching these days so that's always available. I do a lot of consultations about specific topics people want to cover. My email is jojeffreyuk at gmail.com. Jeffrey as well, J E W F E R Y. I get a ton of Instagram messages like, I emailed you. It turns out they emailed Joe Jeffrey, R <laughs> E Y. It's E-R-Y, like Jeffrey. Um, my Instagram handle is uk, so the same as the email. And uh, on there, I've got a, a link tree to all my podcasts that I've done and like the ones with the muscle mentors um, if you guys I did a, a growth hormone specific one that we went really in depth there I did an AI one that we went really in depth there so if you want to sort of get more specialised on those topics head over there and um, I think that just about covers it um, I'm, I'm always open to take questions and whatnot, and I'll always do my best to get back to everybody so awesome. anybody has any questions fire them over
0: Awesome, and I can pretty think that I speak for everyone listening. We just want to say thank you um, for your advice. um, And anyone listening today, um, from me and Joe, whatever you do, whatever you are, as always, give it the beans.